It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in, because the runout starts now. Laura Saberin is one of the country's top trad climbers, with ascents as hard as 514A on gear. They are a coach, a guide, and the subject of a new film called They Them, One Climber's Story. I, I kind of just want to like jump into the most important part of the film. Um, like the kind of the, I don't know, just like the real meat of it, if that's okay. I mean, not to make you uncomfortable, but, um, I really want to know like what the name of that route is, where that route is, what's the deal with that incredible route that you're climbing in the film. It's interesting. Cause that was kind of like, we were pretty intentional about not centering the route in the film, not necessarily from a, like hide the routes in Northern Arizona perspective but more from a storytelling perspective yeah but still where is these it? are the behind yeah, the scenes still where is it what's it yeah. called where's that canyon come on unload on us yeah it's, uh, in, it's an incredible looking route <laughs> no totally um, the canyon is incredible looking and i don't know if you're if your friends and or um you know the crew in northern arizona will 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 find you and and you know <laughs> <laughs> do <No>. something <laughs> because you're talking about it but uh but honestly like what was the deal with that route <laughs> yeah it's called the cousin of death and it's at the top of oak creek canyon which is like between flagstaff and sedona mm -hmm. so there's kind of this like oak creek canyon is really long there's a ton of climbing there there's actually a ton of basalt climbing down lower um, that's where the waterfall is, if y'all are familiar with that crag. Mm -hmm. But then at the very top of it, it's got a ton of sandstone. And so there's an area there that's like 600 foot walls. It's an old kind of canyoneering area. I guess people still go canyoneering there. And it's called Insomnia Canyon. And there's a really famous route there called Valhalla. And then right next to it is the Cousin of Death. And it's just, I mean, it's one crack system from the bottom to top. It kind of curves around in a lot of different ways, but ultimately it's a continuous crack, which is pretty wild. And so, um, you know, just to kind of go on this theme of focusing on this climb, we'll, we'll get to the rest of the film later. But uh, it, it, why did you choose to do that route? And was it something on your radar that kind of coincided with this film project or you know, or was it more intentional than that in terms of, of uh, how to build the film around it? So we've been working on the film for about three years. Mm -hmm. And then we were going to shoot up here in Moab because I have like a just a bunch of projects on the list up here. And then because of the pandemic, I just decided not to travel at all in 2020. And so... I sat down and just made a list of the routes in Northern Arizona that were the most inspiring to me. And I had gone out to that climb. My friend had actually had an accident on the climb that wasn't related to like the climbing itself. It's not because the climb is super scary or anything. But I went out to Belay for Blake because they had been partnered up on the climb. And Blake is the person who made the film. So I had been out there before... And like had climbed on it a little bit and just knew um, that it was a really challenging style for me and that it was going like if I were to try it, it was going to be really hard. And so I kind of like put that route on the list and then like kind of moved on and kept 
um, listing them out. And I was talking to Blake about it in terms of what he wanted to shoot on and what he'd be psyched to sh- to like go out to. And I I mentioned it really briefly and then kind of moved on. And he asked me about it. And I was like, oh, it really intimidates me. Like it would be way too big of an objective to take on for me right now. And he was kind of like paused me there and, and said that he thought that would be a cool reason to go out there. And um, yeah, I have a high tolerance for like kind of getting um, smacked down by a route. And so I just decided to go check it out. There's like this cool part of the film, like obviously the film is they them it's it's really about your biography about um you know your struggles with gender identity about your place in the climbing community in life in general um a deep biography of your past and yet there there was part of my brain that thought about this climb a lot and 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 what an interesting look at what working a hard route actually looks like for real like yeah you know, in, in so much of, of the climbing, you know, sort of climbing porn end of things, you see the finished product, you see the sand, you know, there may be some mentioning of how hard it was to get it done, blah, blah, blah. But there, there was like these scenes of you, you know, on that, on that undercling traverse in particular, you know, just like kind of losing your shit, like get, getting shut down, like getting really scared. And I, the whole time I was like, yeah, but that's, totally what it's like you know that's that's actually the reality for most people i mean i mean obviously some people don't ever have those kind of meltdown fierce fear situations but i do you know i have a i have a very you know fun to tell when i'm drunk story about crying on an aid route you know all by myself when i was soloing and stuff so like i just thought like there was within this you know greater message of this film um, which is, you know, in the title and, and in its marketing and everything else. I was like, yeah, but there's this interesting angle where we're seeing someone work a route who's an incredible climber, but a normal person in terms of getting shut down, getting scared, like, you know, showing you meltdown on that cam and all that shit. And I was like, that's what it really looks like, you know? Totally. <laughs> so, yeah. So I thought that was actually kind of a like a cool part of the film that maybe other people might not have ever focused on, you know? Yeah, and I was really surprised by how many people were surprised by seeing that because I like work in the mental training world and I teach people to deal with fear and people reached out and they said that it was really cool to see someone like they were like, oh, it's wild that like you climb hard and get scared. But I don't have a single climbing partner that hasn't done that on their first time up a hard trad route that is a little bit like has sections where you can't fall, but it's also hard climbing. I think we all do that. It like, I mean, I know in that moment I probably did look really scared and and I was, but it wasn't like, like that was not a picture of the time that I've lost my shit the most. Like I was still kind of like in between freaking out and having fun. And um, it didn't feel all that vulnerable for me to put that in the film because it's just such a normal thing. Like, and then, you know, you kind of figure out the gear and then you figure out the climbing and then it doesn't become as scary anymore. But I think a lot of people were really surprised to see that side of rock climbing. And it was kind of cool to, yeah, I thought that was a cool aspect of the film if we can normalize that a little bit. Because I think so many people think that they need to like somehow cross over this gate of like, and like never get afraid anymore. And then they can try hard routes and it's just a, part of climbing that we get scared 
Yeah, and the grabbing the draw thing was like, I mean, that was like everybody's struggle in the whole entire world of like, okay, there's a cam right there, you know, and I don't know how good that cam was, but you still just like, I'm going to clip it. No, I'm not. I'm going to, no, I'm going to grab it. And it's like, like you explain, like, I didn't mean to do crab it, but here I am grabbing it, you know? Yeah, so, totally. I don't know. Th- those parts were cool because again, it seemed like I wasn't supposed to be paying attention to that, but I was like mm. really into it. So, um, yeah. <laughs> or maybe, yeah. I, I mean, I'm supposed to be paying attention to everything in the film for sure. But, uh, but yeah, you know what I mean? It was like, I was like, yeah, but what about this cool part where, where, you know, where lore melts down or whatever? I thought that was great. And, uh, it just—I don't know. I, just to give yeah, just sorry. to give another side, a, a different perspective to the film, as someone who's never been scared or really struggled on climbs in any way whatsoever, I thought it was fascinating to see that for the very first time. Um, and so it was kind of this glimpse into this world that I've never known or really experienced on the day to day when I go climbing. Boggled my mind. Um, <laughs> of course, I'm kidding. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, like there's, there is this, you know, it it is interesting to hear you say that so many people responded to that aspect of the film because yeah, you know, climbing media, maybe in general, it is a kind of subtle critique at like what kind of films or imagery or stories that we are predisposed to seeing that, you know, they, they're focus on strength and don't center the what the vulnerability that makes us all human and makes us all you know related and you know siblings in in adversity and siblings in struggle and doubt and and fear and stuff like that and so how do you uh how do you see like that conversation and climbing unfolding right now that 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 word vulnerability is one that i actually you know it, it's weird to hear that in a way it's like uncommon for people to see that because it's also common in a way it's become it's become kind of a hashtag trend word in a way i've seen it on, on a lot of podcasts and a lot of stories people return to that concept of vulnerability and, and, and perhaps that speaks to like a long overdue conversation in climbing but i'd love to just know your perspective on on that idea in in climbing right now i think maybe going back to something you said a little bit earlier in that statement of just the idea of it being a human story and I think that was a conversation that Blake and I had a lot while we were making the film of not wanting the film to be a trans story like this isn't a film about my gender identity even though that ended up being the title where like my pronouns and and there's definitely it is a story that creates visibility for the trans community and that's important but really we kept talking about this the importance of telling a human story about community that maybe is often dehumanized and not needing it to be about my gender identity for that to be important we went back and forth a ton about how much to include outside of climbing like whether it was powerful enough to just allow me to be a rock climber in the film But then we had so many conversations outside of that realm that we decided to include a lot more. But I think climbing inherently is a vulnerable sport. It's like you kind of go up on a climb and like even if you want to seem super tough and and like have this kind of hard exterior, once a climb gets hard enough or scary enough, like you're you're going to respond in ways that probably like sometimes wish weren't being witnessed by other people and and sometimes it like even brings things out of yourself that feel really vulnerable 
even if you're on your own. I know there have been days that I've been out bouldering on my own that, like, my reactions, I've been like, oh, I just embarrassed myself, even though there's no one here. (laughs) And so I feel like that it's a really interesting thing that there is kind of, there's like these two kind of, I guess, paradoxical components to climbing where there's kind of a rep, like, you know, that hard man mentality where you're supposed to be like one upping your friends and always doing things in the best style and being like the boldest and bravest person out there. And then this other side where like, we're like continuously being shown like how vulnerable and weak we are and like being given an opportunity to go into a situation that's going to expose that. And that's a really interesting kind of balance to hold in the sport. And it, it does seem like people are getting more willing to to share that in that vulnerability and to realize that top level climbers are willing to feel that. And it's kind of like most people plateau when they are not willing to be vulnerable anymore. Yeah, it's a, it's a great uh, observation. I, I wrote about that in um, my little How to Sport Climb book I wrote about a decade ago, but it was just this observation of what kind of uh, linked the top climbers in our sport. And often what I had seen, what I saw was a willingness to fail, which is another way to say the word vulnerability. It's like that willingness to just, you know, suck at climbing and just try. And I think that people have a hard time with that. I I certainly have a really hard time with that. And it's often easier to just like give up than just to suck in front of other people. And so pushing the, the culture in a way that we can be more open and accepting to just seeing displays of people trying their best and not coming up short is like a really good thing, positive thing. I mean, that's huge. And I think it's interesting because there's a lot of things that keep like, like there's a lot of barriers to people being willing to be vulnerable. And I think it could be easy right here to say that's only like marginalized communities. But I think actually it's like there's a lot of barriers just in being a human to wanting to fail in front of people and then also just like when even if there's not people there I think that's part of why it's vulnerable is because you're like well if I can just achieve this thing like it shows that I'm allowed to be here like even if there's not a group of people to witness it it's like I've you know I've proven like I put in the work and then I achieved the thing and when you put in the work and you don't achieve the thing it really like can rock the boat if you don't have that like stable sense of I'm allowed to be here. And that's, I think maybe part of the reason that people get so afraid of failure is because it feels like um, they don't have like that proof to hold on to. Or they have Palestinian fathers. It's, it's, it's a toss up. <laughs> Could be that too. It's been <laughs> I'm not speaking from personal experience. <laughs> I don't know. Fathers play, play pretty heavy into all this shit actually. Yeah. Uh, for, I, I they, mean, fathers are, or kind of a wild card in all of our psyches out there, you know? <laughs> yeah. And an extension of that too, like our climbing mentors. Right. You know, I was just coaching someone the other day that like was determined not to stick clip. They were working a five nine and they were like terrified of the start and determined not to stick clip because someone had told them that like their send wouldn't be valid. And so they're like here at the base of their climb, like deciding whether it's worth it. Like if like they fall, if they would be willing to sprain an ankle and, and you're, you know, it's kind of that voice that they got from someone who introduced them to the sport. And that's similar, I think as mentorship changes, like our, 
kind of way that we view failure also changes. So we had talked, uh, I guess it was last May, I think is when we talked um, the first time. And, um, you know, in that in that interview, I was very uh, sort of touched and, and honored that you trusted me as much as you did with your story and with your struggles and things like that. But then I saw this film and I was like, OK, you know, the Norma cast is one thing, but this Patagonia produced film is a whole nother. Plus, you 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 went much deeper into you know, violence around, um, your, your growing up and, and things like that. And so what made you sort of trust not only this director, also Patagonia, but also just, um, sort of trust the process in telling your story and made you kind of willing to do that? Because I, I want to say that when we talked, maybe I'm digging here, but it seemed like you were a little bit ambivalent about being thrust into this position as a spokesperson, but here you are, you know, and uh, the film is undeniable and it's out there and it's going to bring feedback and, um, and make you the center of this, at least for a little while. So um, talk a little bit about the idea of doing the film. If you struggled with that idea, if you struggled trusting the people whose hands it was going to be in um, with your story. Um, so Blake is one of my best friends who made the film. So from the beginning, that was one of the easiest parts in terms of trusting a person, right? Like trusting someone else to do it. But when he first asked me about it, and it was a pretty loose pitch when he first asked me, like he just kind of asked if I wanted to make a climbing film with him and if it would be okay to talk about my gender identity in it. And at that point, that could have meant for for either of us, like we really didn't know, it could have just meant literally like, saying that I was a trans person and then the rest of the film was just rock climbing and um that didn't end up being what we made but he didn't really come in with a preconceived notion he just wanted to make a climbing film we had a really strong relationship and he thought it would be cool um to do that and so he asked me about it and kind of my first response was like my gut response was no in the beginning because I just like it just felt scary and vulnerable I mean we were just talking about like that fear of failure in climbing and it kind of felt the same way but like in a much more scary way like in the potential for like creating violence for telling a story that I didn't feel good about like all these different factors that felt really intimidating and at the same time I work with a lot of trans youth and a lot of youth in the queer community that are right now in the exact same space that I was in 10 years ago and I just like I kind of it was like I had put in all this work to be in a place where I felt safe enough to just kind of exist in my body and to like share who I was with other people and to kind of like for them and for myself believe that it didn't have to be something that I face violence for every day. Like, just kind of, like, believe that if I gave people a chance that they would not hurt me. Like, not even, like, oh, they'd be kind and super accepting, but just, like, yeah, I can go to the grocery store without getting hurt. Like, I can go to the bathroom without getting hurt. And that took a ton of work, and I was like, well, I put in all this work, like, I might as well do something with it. (laughs) But it definitely... um, it felt like a reach goal to say that to like, it felt like a real test of that kind of work that had been put in. And 
I think the thing that scared me the most was telling my story in a way that hurt people more. Like that might sound weird to say, but I didn't want to like create more stereotypes about the queer community. I kind of was afraid to like let people down. And I was afraid that people would watch it and that it would be like confirmation that I really had been broken. Like people would be like, whoa, that's like way overwhelming and wild that you went through that. And like, that was too much. That was a huge fear going into it about how much to share. And I backpedaled on a lot of things multiple times before like allowing them to go in because, yeah, it felt scary. And I didn't want to tell the story in a way that felt unaffirming for folks. It's interesting you say that because, I mean, you just said it was three years in the making. And even in the film, you can see how much you changed in that three years. And so I only imagine that wherever you started it and wherever you are sitting there now has been, yeah, has been ups and downs and and waves of like probably wanting to walk away and, you know, like this can't be shown, like I'm done with this. And I mean, did you have those level of struggles with what was going on or was it more of, uh, you know, just kind of finer points of, of what can go in and what can come out? So I was involved in the entire editing process. So like I saw every single rough cut. Oh God, you had to watch yourself like that much. And like you get a rough cut of, (laughs) yeah, you get a rough cut of a film and it's like everything in there and it's not really like, it's not ready for people to watch yet. And in a way it like almost wasn't ready for me to watch yet. Like I was kind of, it was kind of messy and like, it's really hard to watch your story be just kind of like chopped together and like thrown in front of you. And I definitely like that night, you know, and it was long when it was the rough cut. The original one was like two and a half hours or something. And just the whole time, like I, I kind of watched it like as if I was watching like a horror movie, I just like had my, my hands over my face and I was like, I can't do this. Like, I can't put this out into the world. But there was a lot of trust there. Like, I really trusted Blake and Justin, who was the other person, the other director of the film. And I really trusted Colin, who was our editor. He was amazing. And, like, one of those people, like, he really came in from the beginning, just, like, ears up, ready to learn, and also just had done a lot of his own homework and had, like, was really, like, a calming presence around the project so I like just kind of inherently trusted Colin and so I was like okay like they're listening I I need to just watch this and like give the feedback that I need to give but that process the editing process was really hard I I just was struck watching the film about how your eating disorder played into some of your gender dysphoria and I thought that was like a really interesting part of the film when you talked about like, you know, how these two things, like your climbing identity, you know, your, your kind of eating disorder and your gender dysphoria and how those three things intersected in this really kind of unhappy alliance. Um, I thought that was a a great part of the film. I like really briefly mentioned it in the film, but it was important to me to acknowledge, and I, I guess it wasn't even super brief, but the idea that like, an eating disorder for me and and for a lot of trans people, but also people in different marginalized identities is protective. It's like a way that you find control and like try to like live in a body that feels okay. 
I've talked to a lot of friends like in the fat community that also experience that. They're like, well, if I can at least show people I'm like trying to live in another body, maybe I'll be accepted a little bit more. And so I think we often in the climbing community think that the people that we're hurting the most are like the really thin athletes that are like crushing it because of their low body weight. And I've just seen eating disorders really systemically get spread in the climbing community among communities that maybe don't get that same kind of concern. And that's something that I think it was important for me to talk about in the film. I like to acknowledge that like I am like, first of all, have thin privilege. And so I would be someone that would maybe be flagged um, if I'm losing weight. And then also like am climbing at a high enough level that like I don't get to pretend that I'm going to be exempt from like the flagged community. But it's important to know that like those behaviors kind of coincide with like a lot of different things. And I think um, climbing can kind of hide those things in a way. And so it can be like a really healing place, but it can also be a place where people kind of like, it's easy not to get it detected because you're like, oh, I'm just being healthy. Like, I'm an athlete. I'm trying to perform better. And um, I think the conversation, like we started having it in the climbing community, but it's still really performance-based and focused on just the people that are maybe like trying to send hard. Whereas really like those kinds of mental health issues are usually a much more complex thing. What's your relationship with Patagonia now? Are are you a sponsored Mm -hmm. athlete or? Yeah. Yeah. I'm on their ambassador team. And uh, are there more film projects? Are you renegotiating that at this point after a million views of the film? (laughs) No, actually it's been really cool. Like it was a very, (laughs) it was a very like, kind of reciprocal decision with them and it was okay. really cool to because I'm also doing like pro athlete like like was not on my list of goals for my like I, I'm i in grad school I'm like doing a lot of other things I'm I'm working like I love rock climbing and I love pushing myself in rock climbing but it, that wasn't necessarily something I was like actively pursuing but when the opportunity came up for that relationship it was really cool because I had seen Patagonia go through some really hard changes through the project. I had done a lot of work with their queer employees, and I was kind of given a platform to talk about things that those employees hadn't been given, not because anyone was trying to silence them, but just because that's sometimes how like channels of communication work. And that really inspired me to realize that maybe having a platform does kind of elevate a message and you don't get that all the time, right? Like you don't get to have your message listened to. And it's at, it comes at a time when I'm just like watching people get hurt over and over. And I was like, well, if I can have a small role to play and like ending some of that, even if it's just for their employees or for some people that are involved in Patagonia, like that's really powerful in itself. As far as trusting Patagonia, mm-hmm. you know, there there is a, a concern, you know, in, marginalized communities i think oftentimes uh in the black community for sure that there's this tokenism happening um within like climb the climbing industry so is that part of your experience with with working with their employees was that part of the the kind of like trust element of like okay patagonia is making the moves the way they should just i'm not just gonna like 
fit their slot of uh, of their trans athlete, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, is that part of the trust level with with uh, going with them or, or allowing them to, I don't know, I want to say have control, but it's like, you know, they get to distribute your story or, through this mm-hmm. film and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, trust is a, like, it's kind of an earned thing, right? Which is, like, can be funny to say, but it really, like, we didn't, we had a lot of time, like, I had a lot of time with the people at Patagonia to learn about their leadership styles, to learn about the way that they approached feedback. And I was really, I mean, honestly, I was a little bit blown away. Um, I mean, I've, I know that they have a really strong value system, and I know that they talk about those things and have taken a lot of action in the environmental sphere, but I wasn't like, I didn't really know how this story would go or how the process would go. And they really let me lead with telling my story, which was amazing. Like I never had a piece of feedback that was questioned. They were like, if you want something in, it can stay in. If you want it out, like that's fine. Even if it's a core part of the story, if you're uncomfortable, we'll take it out. And they lived by that the entire time, which was amazing. But then they also like, I got to watch them interact with feedback and sometimes hard feedback. And I got to like watch them respond well to it. And you're never going to find perfect people, right? And especially in an organization full of like imperfect humans, you're going to have like a lot of things come up that are messy and hard to deal with. And so I saw as an organization that they had systems in place that made it so that they could change. And like when they found something messy, they didn't just be like, oh, okay, we're like going to leave that and move on to something else like that they were willing to act on it. And we're like down the road, we'll probably continue to find like just I mean, I as a human always have to find things that I have to change and I'm sure they will too. And I think that's okay. Like I'm not looking for someone that's like an organization that's perfect. It's more like an organization that's willing to make changes and to listen. So the film's had like just about a million views, I think. Not quite, maybe, but um, certainly will after this episode drops, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. uh, Double. How how has the feedback been and how do you feel about it now that, you know, a, a million people have watched your film? Yeah. Um, well, definitely like the couple of weeks leading up to the film, I just kind of had this moment where like, I realized that I wasn't the film and that was very, very helpful to like, just have this distance to be like, oh, there's this thing out in the world, but it's not me. I'm, I've like moved on and continued to live a life since this film was made, you know, and I'm a different human than the one that's in the film. And that's been really helpful in terms of like how I feel. But also, it's been wild. I know Patagonia has monitored the comments on all of their pages. They've been really great about it. But I also posted a ton of content on my page that was, like, just for me to monitor. And I only received one hateful comment that I had to delete the entire, like, in the last two months. Which honestly is less than what I might receive in, like, any given month in the past year on anything that talked about my gender identity or didn't but it was just like I maybe put a hashtag in there that had something about gender identity I could get two or three hateful comments on something like that easily and here it's like it was wild not to receive that like that's been really healing in itself and in terms of the positive feedback 
I mean, just today I got these handwritten letters from these from four teenagers that are in a residential treatment facility, and all four of them are have survived a suicide attempt. And they're one of their counselors is a climber. She brought the film for them to see, and then they like asked if they could write letters and. I mean, I just, I was like sitting in my van reading the letters, just bawling because it just really made me think about the, I guess just like giving, if it's like, I, I don't feel like I did that. I feel like I just like went out and rock climbed a thing and like talked about my life. But like if a project that I was involved in could have that kind of impact where like one of the kids was talking about just like the value of maybe like believing that happiness was possible. And there were just a couple of other things in there of like them talking about that they had started to like think about things they might enjoy doing when they left the residential treatment center. And I was thinking about like my own time. I didn't really like go into it in a long time in the film, but I did spend time in a treatment center during that time that I talked about in the film and it was so unaffirming and I didn't leave it with any like psych for the future. I kind of left it in like deadpan neutral, like this is where I am. So to think it's kind of like parents, like healing intergenerational trauma. You know, it's like if you do your work as a parent and you pass on just like a little bit less of that trauma to the next generation and then like they do their work as a human and pass on a little bit less, that's fulfilling in itself. And so it's really cool to feel like all this work that I just did selfishly for myself to feel safe in the world, if that can give someone else the chance to start from like one step further and have just like a little bit of a boost, that's super awesome and it's worth it. Hey there, if you'd like to rise above your bottom feeder status and support the efforts, however feckless, of the run out, then subscribe today at patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. In addition to bolstering our self-esteem, you'll be privy to titillating bonus material like our recent interview with Joe Kinder just after he sent his new 515B in rifle, Kinder Cakes. Now the hardest climb in that notoriously steep and cryptic canyon. That's patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. Do it. For today's final bit, we're serving you a tasty musical treat pulled from the catalog of my co-host Chris Calusa's days as a member of a band called Sector 7G. The song, which climbing podcast aficionados will recognize as the outro music to the Enormacast, is called Borrowed Time. Sector 7G was one of those you-had-to-be-there bands of Carbondale, Colorado funkadelic myth, but today their legend lives on. Please enjoy. Happy Thanksgiving to all who celebrate... And see you folks in December, as we've got a ton of great guests and topics to discuss.
it ain't flat. The teachers told me that's where it's at. So I bought a little boat and sailed across the ocean in the waves, and the dolphins were grooving with the motion. The world is flat, now it ain't round. Sailed 21 days, that's what I found. Sailed up to the edge, and that was enough. And I packed my shoes, and I jumped right off. Now I'm living on borrowed time. Flying high and I'm living on borrowed time. Every wave, and I went to the party and danced at that rave. I tamed all the lions and run with the bulls, trekked to the poles and lived with the wolves. I've been there, done that, seen it on the news. I've won every race 'cause I can't lose. Well, I should have been dead a long time past, but I'll take my time and make it last 'cause I'm living on borrowed time, flying high and flying. Said I'm living on borrowed time. Borrowed time, flying high and flying. 
just completed another episode of The Runout, a podcast from the sharp end of climbing. I'm Andrew Bisharat, and I run Evening Sends, the only climbing website on the internet. And I'm Chris Kalous, host of the Enormacast, the only other climbing podcast. Please leave a review of our show on iTunes, share an episode with your friends, and follow us on social media. We should be fairly easy to find. Drop us a line, let us know what you think. My email is andrew at runoutpodcast.com. And my email is chris at runoutpodcast.com. And also, please support our show. Go to patreon.com slash runoutpodcast and become a rope gun today. <laughs> <laughs>